All right, so Philippians chapter 4, as we close out this book, what I don't want us to do is close out our fight for contentment. And it is a fight. Contentment does not happen by accident. Joy in life through any circumstance does not happen by accident. It is a fight. And so even this week for me, um, Emily and I woke up Monday and realized that there's a, something going on in our house that's a pretty, potentially a pretty big cost. And so Monday morning, just, just this wave of, of angst hits me, tension. Can I say that word without getting made fun of anymore? Uh, <laughs> So I'm going to, angst is my new word. Uh, this worry hits me and it just, and it just floods over me. And, and I've been riding my bike some, just uh, going to work to just get more exercise. So I'm riding my bike Monday and this just dread and worry starts to come in. And then here's what also comes in. Discontentment, meaning, um, I'm thinking like, do I really, do I want to be a pastor? I mean, I could make a whole lot more money out in the workplace and this wouldn't be a big deal. And all this, this flood of, of emotions start coming. I rhyme by back, and then here's, it, it just clicked for me. I was like, okay, stop. If you let this steal your joy and your contentment, what are you building your life upon? I'm talking to myself. I'm preaching. I have one, one person in the congregation I'm preaching to, and it's me. And the whole way as I'm riding my bike, bike to work that Monday, I'm just faith and repentance, faith and repentance. Jesus, faith. I believe that you are all satisfying, even though right now, I believe that my finances are all satisfying. And I'm preaching to myself, Jesus, I believe this. I believe you're the source of all joy. And I could have a whole lot more stuff, but I believe that you're the source of all joy. Repentance. Jesus, I'm turning away from the idol of control. That's what I deal with. Because right now, I feel out of control. And I'm not going to ask you to fix my house, God, because I know there's a, someone praying in Ethiopia for food, so I'm not really worried about that. But I'm going to ask that you teach me contentment, whatever happens through this. And the whole way I'm preaching to myself, 20-minute bike ride, preaching to myself faith and repentance, faith and repentance, because contentment is a fight. And I have to fight for it, just like you guys have to fight for it. So as we close out Philippians, I hope you've been encouraged through this. When Paul says, I've learned the secret to contentment in any situation. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That while we get out of Philippians, our fight for contentment does not end. And last week we talked about giving and we specifically talked about financial giving. Paul gave us another kind of element of contentment or a recipe for joy and contentment and that is sacrificial giving and being generous. And we talked about that last week and we're going to wrap up here in verse 18. Here's what he says to the Philippian church. I've received full payment and more. And that's their gift they gave him. I'm well supplied Having received from Ephroditus, that's the guy they sent to Paul with this gift of money. Having received from him the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So today in the sermon, we're going to look at this next year at Hill City and what we believe as elders God is calling us to. And we're going to do it in light of this idea. And so Paul has been teaching this church about contentment. He talked about generosity last week. And now he's going to expand on, on the why here. And here's what he says. He switches this Old Testament imagery of sacrifice. And if you've ever read like the book of Leviticus, 
That sacrificial system where, where um, once a year the, the, the people of Israel would bring this animal and they'd sacrifice it and that, that aroma, uh, that, and they would burn it and this aroma would go up and it was pleasing to the Lord. Paul brings in that imagery to talk about the idea of giving. When I say giving today, I'm not necessarily talking financial. I'm talking giving our lives. And he says about giving of our lives, that is, this, the sacrificial living is a pleasant aroma to God. So as God's children give of their time, their money, their talents, everything that he's given, that, that, that the, the imagery that Paul uses is that idea of a sacrifice, and this aroma would go up, and it says that God is pleased with the aroma. If you're like me, smells are, uh, can trigger memories of the past. I was, a couple weeks ago, I was walking through campus and walked through Cheek Hall, and I had a, just like a shuddering moment of hours spent in a computer lab there. And because it smelled the same as it did 15 years ago. Uh, maybe a little bit worse. Some of you are going to go to grandma's house today and celebrate Mother's Day. It has a smell, right? And it's a pleasing smell. We had a little birthday party for my daughter this week at the house. And I was cooking for uh, 15 fifth graders. Good grief. Uh, and I was cooking this kind of fancy dinner and different food that I would normally cook. And Aaron walks in and she goes, it smells like a mixture of Grandma Hood's and Grandma and, and Mimi's house. Like, because all these different foods were mixing together. Like, there's something about smells that trigger things. And here's what Paul wants us to see. There's something about the smell of God's children giving themselves that pleases God. The idea that as we pour out our lives as a sacrifice, it's pleasing to God. John Piper says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we find contentment and joy in him, that's when God is most glorified. And Paul says that it's like a pleasing aroma that comes, out, comes up to God. God delights in his children delighting in him. Now some of you are like, okay, wait a second here. That's kind of weird. Why would God want me to sacrifice everything? It almost like makes God sound like a masochist. He just wants me to sacrifice and suffer? That's kind of weird. Like, I don't ask my kids, like, I want you to sacrifice and suffer. That's... Or the idea that God wants us to point all things to him and that he's the top of everything. It's like, well, isn't God kind of an egomaniac? I mean, if I was up here and say, yeah, you guys need to worship me above all things and kind of lift me up, you'd be like, that guy's full of himself. But God here is saying that he is pleased when, when we offer our gifts, when we live as he's in charge and, here's, and when he's at the top. And here's why, and we have to know this, because God knows that he is the highest being. God has no other place to point us but himself. So God can't say, hey, I want you to worship Daniel and lift him up because he knows I'm flawed. So because God knows that he is the end of all joy, that he is the one worthy of the highest. He has no other place to point us but himself. And here's what he's going to tell us is that his glory and our joy are intertwined. Meaning as I live to glorify him with my life to his glory, he also knows that he is what's most satisfying and my joy follows. So God's not pleased that we give a sacrificial offering because he likes to see us suffer. God is pleased when we offer our lives because he knows he is the end of all joy. And that's what Paul's saying. That God is pleased when we live as him as the highest. And so what we believe about God is important. I asked you last week, do I see God as someone who gives? 
Or do I see God as just simply, simply someone that requires? Or do I see God as a giver? Or do I see God as someone that just demands obedience? It's all how I view God. And Paul views God as someone that gives himself. And then so Paul says, therefore, it's pleasing to God when we give himself, give ourselves to him because he's already given and he's the end of all joy. I don't know about you, I'm a person that has to know the why of something. Drove my parents crazy. But just obedience for the sake of obedience, I'm not wired like that. I'm not, I can be a little bit ornery sometimes when I don't understand the why. And for some of us, we have to understand the why of the commands of Scripture, why God has asked us to give our lives, to live as a living sacrifice, to deny ourselves, all these things we're going to see today. Why? Because God knows in doing that, we will find joy and contentment. See, the scariest thing to us, the idea of denying myself, is actually the road that leads me to joy. So here's the promise of God in Philippians. A life of joy and contentment is found in Christ. And if I want to pursue that life of joy and contentment, I give. I give of myself. So a key to joy is not getting all I can get, but giving all I can give. Now God never promises ease. He never promises comfort. As a matter of fact, he says there'll be suffering and persecution. But listen, he promises joy and contentment. Paul says, I've learned the secret of contentment in any situation. As Paul gave, God supplied contentment. As Paul poured himself out, God supplied joy. So Paul says in this letter that the idea of us giving to God, us pouring out our lives for God is this pleasing aroma. It reminds me of Romans chapter 12 where Paul says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, here's this language, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That same idea that we would present ourselves to God and say, God, my life is not my own, my life is yours, therefore I present it all, and not in some way of grief, but because we believe that he's the end of all joy, I gladly present my life to you. By the mercies of God, to present your life as a living sacrifice, how do we do that? Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Notice the holy and acceptable. I present myself as someone who is already holy and acceptable. I don't present myself and make myself holy and acceptable. I've worked with people long enough. Here's what I know. Many of you are afraid to give God your lives because you still think you are not holy and presentable to God. And the idea, well, when I can do this, then I'll give my life to God. Or when I can stop doing this, then I can give myself to God. And many of you have to understand your identity and that you're already counted holy and acceptable. Therefore, we come to God in joy and say, here's my life. But you'll never give yourself to God when you're living in shame of who you think you are and who your identity is. So the idea, Paul says, is that as we present our lives to God as a living sacrifice, that that aroma, that smell, pleases God because God knows we're delighting in him and he knows he's the end of all joy. Here's what Jesus says. The idea that life is found in the giving. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself 
That's hard language. Why, Jesus, why would you ask that of me? Deny myself? That he would deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with angels in the glory of the Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Now, preachers a lot of times have used this to scare people, like literally to scare the hell out of people and get them to say a prayer so they don't want to go to hell. I don't think that's a point of this. I think the point is when Jesus says, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself, and he goes on. For if you want to save your life, if you want to hold on to it, you're actually going to lose it. I don't necessarily think he's talking about hell. I think he's talking about joy and contentment. But if you give, you're going to find it. Why does Jesus say that? Because he knows that God is the end of all joy and contentment. Do we trust him? But to give, to give my life, to live as, as, as Christ above all things, Hear me, I have to deny myself. I have to. Because to deny myself is to say, I'm not God, Jesus is God. To elevate myself is to say, yeah, my, my will over God's. And that's where my lack of joy and discontentment is going to come from. The call is to deny ourselves. And here's what I'd say, do we, do we realize who we're following? Because some of you are like, well, deny myself. That doesn't sound fun. No, it doesn't. But who are you following? We're following a creator that denied himself, that laid down his life, his rights for a greater cause. That would be our salvation. A God that denied himself and took on flesh and dwelt among humans. We celebrate a God that gives sacrificially and that same God calls us to deny ourselves. We have a picture of, of Jesus right before he goes to the cross and he's in the garden and here's what he says, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it. But... Deny himself, not my will, but yours. And he falls down to his knees and he's sweating blood. And he has, he's, he, has this, this, he has this angst that comes over him. But he denies himself. And God sends angels down. Do these angels take him out of the situation? Okay, Jesus, no. no. But they minister to him during the situation as he denies himself because Jesus knew that God's will was the end of all joy. And he lives for it. If the Son of Man laid down his rights for a greater cause, why would we consider he would ask us anything different? Do you trust him? So the call of God is to deny myself. To say no to self. To live as a living sacrifice to God, to give all I can give to pour out with the promise that I'll find life. Do I trust him? Paul will say it like this. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. That's all Paul felt. He'd given everything. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. But I've learned the secret contentment in all things. 
So the call of God is to live as a living sacrifice, and it comes with a promise. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply, as you, as you live as this living sacrifice, as you give all, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Did you get that? As we do this, God will supply every need. And you're like, sweet, that's good, because if I give, that means I'm going to get a, a random email or a letter in the mail with a check in it, right? And God's going to supply my need. That's not what he's talking about. What's the context of Philippians? What's our need in Philippians? Joy and contentment. Look at the promise. As I give my life sacrificially, God will supply every need I have. Contentment, joy. Now God's already supplied our greatest need. It's called Jesus. But again, I want us to know the why. I'm not asking you to give your money and to you give your time and to you give your gifts. I'm not asking you to do that just because God likes to see you suffer and I kind of want to join in. No, I'm calling us to do that. I'm calling myself to do that because I believe by faith that Jesus is the end of all joy. And he says, and God will supply every need you have. That need is contentment. It's not stuff. Um, when I was in college, I, was, uh, I went and led a disciple now for a weekend. It was my freshman year of college, which I, had a, I did a lot of things my freshman year of college. One of them was not study. Um, and so I went to lead this youth retreat for the weekend, lead worship at a disciple now. And I went all weekend, Friday and all the way to, through Sunday. And I got back Sunday night and, and I was like, oh, I have a world history test. And she called, by the way. Uh, world history test Monday morning. And so as a, as a good believer that believe as I give, give myself, God will supply, I started praying. God, I gave to you this weekend. I poured out my life. I invested in these kids. I'm going to trust God that you will give now. And I'm going to ask that you would give me knowledge <laughs> that I obviously don't have on world history of ancient civilization or something like that. And so I walked, in, I, I walked into Cheek Hall Monday morning with a bounce in my step. Like, man, I gave. The Lord will supply every need. God, by faith. I'm, I'm almost going charismatic. By faith, Jesus, I believe that you'll do, right? <laughs> and so I take that test, like, mm-hmm. A week later, F, right? <laughs> Flunk the thing. Why? God's not talking about if I give, he's going to miraculously put something that's going to bless my life. Here's the call of God. As I give of myself and I deny myself, I will find life and I will find joy and contentment that God will supply every need. Do we believe him? Do we believe him? The call of God is to deny ourselves that we might find life. This book is about contentment, Philippians, and the promise is you will be well supplied as you give. So if you're here and you're discontent, now I think we all struggle with discontentment, but if the pattern of your life is discontent, here's what I'd ask you. What are you looking for to find contentment? And can it handle the weight? Like if, just, if discontentment is a state of being for you, I think the question of what am I looking for for that contentment? So a spouse is great, but she makes a really bad God. Single people, marriage is great, but it makes a really bad God. 
Money is great, but it makes a really bad God. It can't handle the weight of contentment. A house is great. I learned this week, but it can't handle the weight. Sex is great, but it can't handle the weight. See, the promise of God is that he is the end of all joy. And the promise of God is that I pour out my, myself, I give myself to him, that I live as a fragrant offering to the Lord, that I will be well supplied with what? Joy and contentment. Do I believe him? Do I trust God? Do I trust that obedience brings blessing? So we talked about money last week, and a lot of you were like, man, that was tough. I talked to a lot of you at the park, like, that was, that was, I needed to hear that, that was tough. Okay, do we believe that obedience brings blessing? So the call of God is for our lives, for our lives, for us to enjoy him, for us to find our identity in him, for us to find our contentment in him as we pour out our lives making much of him and the promise of those, all of those are intertwined. As I make much of God, as I live my life pouring out myself to God, the promise is enjoyment, identity, contentment comes. So that's the call of our lives and that's what Philippians, or Paul is calling this church in Philippians to keep giving of themselves for a greater cause. Now, Hill City, that's where we look at us. That's an individual call to give, but it's also a corporate call. And, the God, and God has, has brought us in together, into community together. And now he's called us as a church to give ourselves for a greater cause. We have a vision statement at Hill City. Would you put it up on the screen? I'm going to ask that we read this together. And this, this vision statement is what, 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 what calls us. What, do we have that up there? Trying to get it. I really want you guys to read. Okay, we'll, we'll come back to it in a second. Put it up there when you get it, please. Um, we have a vision statement that, 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 that we use that, to, to kind of lead us. And uh, that vision statement is all about us giving. All about us giving of ourselves for a, bigger, for a bigger call. We exist, we say it with me, to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. Leave that up there for a second. Notice we exist to glorify God by making disciples. If I'm going to make disciples, I must give. I must give of myself. I must pour out myself. And as we make disciples, the goal is not really cool worship services and smoke and fog and, and fire and all that stuff that happens. That's not the goal. What's the goal? That we would give and we would bring gospel restoration to our city and our world. I don't know if you know this, if you signed up for Hill City Church, you signed up to give, to go, to live as sent people. Not for a cool worship service. And so the elders, as we look at this vision statement and what it means for us, we know that we have to fight consumerism at every level. Consumerism is all about what can I receive? I want a good church right here, good music and a good sermon and I, and, and I have good coffee and I have all these great things. Okay, that's great, but that's not the call of God. The call of God is to give. And so as we look, about Hill, look at Hill City and we start planning about for Hill City, we're looking at the future saying, how can we as a church better make disciples with the goal of transforming our city and eventually our world? How do we do that? And so we plan 
And we have some visions I want to share with you today. And I want you to know, again, some of you are new to Hill City, our visions has nothing to do with big buildings, fancy services, or great programs. It just doesn't. But it is all about what we can give and what we can do in this community. Um, Hill City's a great church, but you realize we have, a, we have limited time. We were sitting at the park last week after our celebration just talking about, um, and one of our ministry team leaders had been to a church celebration that same week where they had celebrated 200 years as a church. And like, yeah, we're one. We'll catch them one day. Um, but it sparked conversation amongst our leaders. And here's what we're saying. I wonder what, wonder what Hill City Church will be like in 200 years. And Brad's like, I don't care. I'll be dead. Doesn't matter to me. They can do what they want. But it got us thinking, like, we have a window of time. For some of us, that window's a little shorter, a little smaller than others. We have a window of time that God has empowered Hill City and he said, give. And I wonder, what will the next generation, what will our legacy be as Hill City Church? Will it be a church that's just all about themselves? Will it be a church that's known for how we give and what we do in this community? And so we have a phrase we started using, measure everything with life change. Because we can start measuring a lot of things and none of it really be any good. So the call of God for these Philippian believers is to give, to give of themselves. And here's the call, I believe, for Hill City Church is for us to go all in and give of ourselves to God as a community of believers, saying, God, we're here to make an impact in this city. Uh, many of you have been checking out Hill City for months. It's time for you to jump all in. And let's do this thing. Become a gospel partner with us. Become a covenant member. Join us in the mission. So because God's given, he's given himself, we have plans. Um, and we have a lot to be thankful for. I was, I was talking to Brad this week and I was writing this sermon. It reminded me, so I to told you last week, you know, we're just, we're what you would call a growing poor church. And so it reminded me of Emily and I when we first got married. Um, and some of you young couples know what this is. It was our first Christmas time, and Emily loves Christmas lights, and we were, we were poor. And so we packed two sandwiches and a can of Pringles and a bottle of soda and drove down to Branson and drive through Christmas lights, and that was our date because I couldn't afford to take her out to dinner. And I was laughing. I was like, Brad, but it was a sweet time. Awesome time. We look back on our lives, and I, I told Brad, I was like, I feel like we're a young married church. I mean, we just got married. We don't have any money, but we're freaking loving it. It's just awesome. We're just having so much fun. And that's what I feel we are. But here's what we believe. Here's what we believe. That as God continues to supply needs, we're going to continue to, to, to move forward. And I want us to remember what God has supplied. He never promises comfort, ease. He doesn't promise any of that. But here's what he supplied to us. This building, I mean, this fell in our laps, guys. We didn't know what we were going to do, and all of a sudden... One of the, one, someone's like, hey, what about University Plaza? One conversation, done. How perfect is this? Every week, God's given that to us. We have three staff members right now. Most church plants can't start with three staff members. That's because of a church that gave to us. 27 baptisms in one year. God has given himself, and we've just soaked it up. Growth of 28% in our gatherings. Last week, we had a little box out there where people would write memories 
Um, and I've told you before, if you guys can, knew how many heart change or lives change in our church, you'd just go crazy. Here's a couple of memories that people wrote. October 2nd, 2016, he began to open my heart. May 7th, 2017, he saved me. That's in this church this year. I don't know who it is. Here's someone else, what they wrote. First time I attended Hill City was the first time I didn't cry in shame and guilt during a service. It's awesome. I could sit up here all day and tell you the stories of life change. That's all because God's given. We didn't do any of it. I mean, Brad and I are PE majors. We don't know what we're doing. We're just making it up. (laughs) We don't. But God's given. Things are, we're growing, we're seeing people get saved. God is giving and we're faithful. And here's the deal, we're not going to sit back and be cautious, we're going to go. And we're we're going to be, uh, we're going to live by faith. So a few announcements I have, some things coming up in the fall. So in the fall, um, we don't know the date yet, we'll let you know soon. We're going to go to two gatherings in the fall. As you can tell, most weeks it gets pretty full in here. We have all anticipation we're going to continue to grow. So we're going to work towards in the fall two gatherings. This will be awesome for our kids' workers because they don't have to miss church when they, when they work. They can work during one hour and go during the other. So I'll be coming up in the fall. We'll let you know more details there. So as God continues to give, as we continue to give, we're planning for future growth. Now, there's a balance of faith and stupid, and we're trying to walk that line. But I want you to know, we're not going to sit back cautiously. We're going to move, and we're going to, we're going to trust that God's going to supply. So this year, 2017, here's some things we're going to do. We have some staff initiatives that we're going to work towards. So uh, in churches, kind of a best practice in churches is one staff member for every 100 people that have average attendance, one to 100. So we have about 500 people average each week, and we have three staff members. So we are very understaffed. Um, the national average is about 50 to 60% of your budget should go towards staff. We're at 41 right now. And the reason is because we're a poor church, but we're growing in that. So we're leaning in and we're trusting God and we're planning. We, we have people that we're working with that we're, they're helping us plan. But our goal is by August to hire another pastor. And we already know who that person is. I hope in a couple weeks to be able to share with you. He has to quit his other job first, and I don't want to have any problems with that, so I'm not going to drop his name here. You'll be very excited when you hear. We're going to hire another pastor in August to help us shepherd people as they're coming in. We have two of our people that are going to come on staff at our church. One is going to do um, communications, website, social media, marketing, all that sort of thing. Another one is going to do operations, going to help with all the kind of the details of Hill City, the business side of it. Those two people are going to, because we can't afford to pay them right now, they are going to raise support to come on staff full-time. So both of them go to a training in June. When they get back for that training, I'll introduce them to you. They'll go through a phase about four to six months raising support for their salary. I'm going to encourage some of you to pray about joining in on that. They're going to raise support for their salary, and as soon as they're fully funded, they're going to come on staff at Hill City. So by the end of 2017, our plan is to go from three to six and staff, and we believe the Lord's going to supply that. So we're leaning in, trusting that as we give, and as God gives, he's going to be faithful, and we're going to continue to see growth in this city. As we look for the fall, I want to give you guys a couple of things we're working on right now. We have a disciple-making conference coming up. It's August 25th through 27th. This is for any of you that would like to know, how do I walk with someone 
who's an unbeliever or a brand new Christian, how do I walk with them to help them understand the gospel? We're going to teach you and train you how to do that. So I've been starting to, to practice some, of the, some training of this. And so Katie Exner works on Stafford Art Church. And so I have a little group that I'm taking through this, this kind of gospel-centered discipleship book. And I invited Katie in on that to teach her how to do this, basically what we're going to teach you in August. And here's what Katie says about it. Um, she said, it's changed everything. Because here's what I know. Many of you want to invest in people's lives. You just don't know how. You're scared. Here's what, that was her. She says, it's changed everything. It's changed the way I view God. I view myself and give me the confidence and passion to disciple others. So on that date, August 25th, that weekend, if you would like to learn how to make disciples, that's our vision statement, we're going to teach you how to use a tool to make disciples. And I believe you'll walk out of there with confidence and a tool to make that happen. That's in August. Another thing we're super excited about as we look to the fall, our goal to make disciples, we have a parenting conference that we're going to do in September, September 15th through 17, we're going to bring in Ann Lincoln Hollabaugh from the Village Church in Texas. Um, I asked Chandler to give us a quote about her. Here's what he says. Ann Lincoln is a gifted and godly woman who is passionate about the family and next generation. She faithfully served our city families at the Village for 10 years. I'm excited that she has a chance to invest in Hill City now. We're going to bring her in for a weekend. She's going to teach parents how we can make disciples of our children how we can, we can pour out for our kids. We're going to use that as a huge weekend to invite parents all across our city, not church parents, unchurched parents. And our goal is to pack out a room with parents. We'll be at round tables where we can provide a relationship to learn how to do this parenting thing. It's kind of like marriage. If you're married, you have problems. If you're a parent, you have problems. Amen? Right. So that's in the fall. Mark your calendars for that. It's going to be a big outreach event for us. Some of you, as, we, as we've talked here, you've never been in a city group. We will launch city groups again the first week of September. That'll be your chance. We don't have city groups during the summer. We'll have a big launch again the first week of, or the, the first of September. That's your chance to get into community there. As we look at the summer, sermon, in, the, in the next few months, sermon series that we're going to be in. This summer, in three weeks, three weeks, we're going to start the book of Judges here together, walking through that throughout the summer. In the fall, this is going to be awesome for some of you, we're going to do a series called Redemption Through History. And basically what we're going to do is we're going to start in the book of Genesis and for all the way through, from the fall all the way through Christmas, we're going to walk through the big picture redemptive story of the Bible, starting in Genesis and ending with the birth of Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and how those two tie together. be an awesome thing for people that, that need to understand um, what the Bible says and what it looks like big picture. At the end of that series, we get into January, we're going to do a series on biblical manhood. Here's what we know, we have to make men out of our men. We have this thing in our culture right now called extended adolescence, and it is plaguing young men. And we have young men that sit in their room and play video games for six hours a day. And so we're going to talk about what does it look like to be a, 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 a man of God, a biblical man. That'll be in January. So all these things that we're planning is because God gives and because we give. And we're trusting that God's going to use these, that we can bring gospel restoration to our city. As we think about our city, um, we are going to continue to, to start to leave an imprint in the city of the mission. So one of the things that, that we've talked about a lot, right now most of Springfield has no clue we exist. They just, they just don't know. And so over this next year, one of our goals is just to get into the city 
and start to show them that we're here to serve. And so we had a first run of that with the rock and ribs thing. We got a great response response back from the from the lady that was in charge of that basically here's what she said about you guys is anything you asked were asked to do you did and didn't complain once and she was pumped so we're gonna do the same thing we're gonna do something with in the fall with kids as they're getting ready to go back to school and then we have a the bass pro marathon in the fall that we're going to do the same thing we're just going to serve as we start to look at what does it look like to leave a dent in our city and see the gospel transforms things So that's the next six months. Now, as we look to the next one to two years, here's some initiatives that we're working on that I want you to know about because some of you need to know what you're giving towards. Um, right now, we have about 80 kids on a given Sunday. Sometimes there's closer to 100. Um, here's what we know. In the next year, year and a half, we must hire someone to help with kids or the three ladies that we have are going to walk out the door and say, they're yours, hood, you take them. We must hire someone. We're working towards that. As you start giving faithfully, that's going to help us hire a children's person sooner. We have on most Sundays over 100 college students. In the next year and a half, we want to hire someone to work with college students because we know what they can do and the investment that we can put in them and the output that we get. So we continue to grow and go to two gatherings, um, helping, helping out with our, someone to lead worship so that that's not just a volunteer thing and they're spending eight hours a day in here giving of themselves. As we look in the next one to two years, we want to hire another pastor. So as God gives, as you give, we're going to continue to grow because our goal is not just to have a cool worship service. But our goal is to leave a huge dent in the city with our little window of time. And in order to do that, all of us must give us ourselves as a sacrificial offering. Let's close out in verse 20. Here's what Paul says. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Like the whole goal of us giving is that God would receive glory. Our Matthew, the kind of the verse that sparked our name, here's what, he, what Jesus says. You're the light of the world, Christians. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The whole point is God's glory, not our own. And Paul's wrapping up this letter to Philippians. He says, guys, continue to give. Can you give of yourselves? But it's all for God's glory because he's the top and he's the end of all joy. And I love how he closes verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. And I love this. Especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. Do you remember what I told you, the context that Paul was writing this letter? Where was he? In prison. Who, who's in charge? Caesar. Do you see what he's saying? All the saints greet you, especially those people I'm chained to that are hearing the gospel, and I'm going to change them too. It's like this little smart aleck remark of Paul, like, hey, Caesar greets you too. Why did he say that? Because here's what Paul knows. Rome will not stop the power of the gospel. And here's what we have to know. We've already won. We have. Nothing's going to stop what God wants to do. Nothing's going to stop it. 
And so he says, hey, all of Caesar's household greet you because they don't know it, but they're getting ready to be followers of Jesus too. Listen, we have a vision. God has a plan. Ain't nothing going to stop it. Nothing's going to stop it. So uh, you guys made fun of me about this too um, in the video. So uh, Brad and I, Brad and I uh, mentioned a lot. We, we're, the, we're the chaplains for the football team at Missouri State. And I don't say that like, <clears throat> yeah, you know, I don't do it like that. But we love it. Uh, but this is one interesting. So um, this past fall, we had a great home game, and we're behind. Had a team come in, and then right at the last minute, we come through and, and uh, gets down to this final kick where we had to kick a field goal to win. And we're on the sideline like that, and the sideline is like electric in the stands, and everyone's just nervous, and I'm nervous, and everyone's just like, like doing this. Like it's just chaos, right? And we end up kicking a field goal and winning the game, and everything was great. And I stopped by the football office that week, and all the guys are in there, and they're watching film. They're watching film, the coaches of this play, and they're watching, and it's, it's kind of cool to see, because on the film, you can just feel like the, oh, what's going to happen, just the angst in the room, the, you know, the, the tension, um, <laughs> but here's what the guys, here's what the coaches are doing, they're sitting back, they got their coffee, they're just chilling, they're just watching it, why? They already knew they won, they knew what the game, they could sit back, even though it's chaos on the screen, in the room, it's just laughs and giggles and coffee. I don't like giggles, maybe not give that. They're going to kill me for that. <laughs> and that's, that's, what Paul's, that's what Paul's saying. He says, it's all for God's glory, and Caesar greets you too, because nothing's going to stop what God wants to do. And so here's what we believe, that God is given, and nothing's going to stop what he wants to do. Now, his plans might be different than ours. We plan, and we're going to press into those plans. God may change them. But we're going to lean forward because we desire to see gospel restoration in this city. So Hill City Church, will you join us in giving of yourself? Will you join us in giving of your life? May you say no to self and say yes to Christ. If you do say no, make sure it's to the right person. And may we continue to give and see what God does among us as we receive communion today. May we say yes to the one that emptied himself and took the form of a servant to secure a inheritance for us and may we live like that. Let's pray together.